worst nights are the best times. West Coast stealing on my shirt. I all my worst nights are the good kind. High life filtered through the lo-fi. Starting it up after dark. Chasing thoughts cruising through Echo Park. Welcome to Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy with my guest host, my very own little peanut butter mouse, my daughter, famed actress of stage and screen, Georgia Warner. Hi, Georgia. Hello. Hello. We are, we're going to bring on our guest today, Matthew Rayner, Matt Rayner. Some people call him Matty Ray. <laughs> He's a, a well-known person out here in the Hamptons for many reasons, some of which 
unfortunately have to do with the one year anniversary coming uh, just happened on April 18th, um, where he was diving and he broke his neck and became paraplegic. And it is not going to be a downer of a show, though, because if anybody here knows Matty Ray, he has managed to somehow what we call in Buddhism, Hendoku uh, Iyaku. He's turned his poison into medicine. Of course, not every day, but he is an incredible artist, both before and after the accident. And I think that's one of the things, Georgia, that you had said we, we kind of wanted to talk about. Of course, as we will learn in talking to Matt, that he was he was artistically involved long before the accident. But um, it's interesting how, you know, well, you know, I'm an actor every time something and we come from a big, you know, theater and Hollywood family. Whenever something not so great happens to me, uh, Bridget, you always say, use it. And, uh, you know, when you're, Do when I? you're an artist, I'm such a oh, yeah, you're parent. A total. No, but I was going to say that like, you know, artists are lucky in the way that, you know, the silver lining to anything is you can make art with it. And I think we're finding particularly in this, in this time, which hopefully will be done by the time this airs, but in this time of like isolation and social distancing, people are getting really creative. Yeah, and it's it's kind of amazing in Matt's situation. I'm sure when he comes on, he'll talk more about it. But he basically was in a hospital for two months, came out, and you know, God bless his family and and, and a you know a select group of, of friends and stuff like that. But for the most part, he was alone, and of course, it got him down on occasion, and he'll speak to that. But he also found a way to work a drone, and so he continued with his artwork, but from a different perspective on many levels. And, you know, Georgia, can you speak about that at all? I mean, I think most of my heartbreaks have resulted in some pretty dope poetry or like, you know, uh, <laughs> a lot of just angry yelling dope. onto it's, a page. No, I was kidding. It seemed pretty dope at the time, but now it's just like super emo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say, uh, you know. Oh, I, oh I, hello. I, oh, yeah, hi, Matt Rainer. Hello. I, I'm Matt Rayner, and uh, I've just been listening, waiting for my what a creep. Uh, chance to talk. I think, you know, beautiful works of art and creativity usually come from places where, where the artist is in pain, it's either love or pain Absolutely. and misery. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. Those are like the three things where really beautiful things come from. Well, because art is, is kind of therapy. I mean, if you look at so many... Not that this is, you know, a, a goal to strive for, but so many of the great actors of our time who are so depressed. You're like, well, I guess that's why they're such great actors, you know? And we, most and comedians. I mean, I've met some oh, totally. the greatest yeah. comedians. Robin Williams. Of, Prime example. Great example. Yeah. But it's just amazing. And even before the coronavirus hit, and of course, this could be played five years from now and people will like <laughs> still remember this time. The country is very divisive right now, very divided. And there's a lot of great art being created, whether it's theatrical or visual, you know, performance, musical. There's a lot coming out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always, like you just said, George, in all of those times, like, you know, it, it was the plague and the dark ages that brought around the Renaissance. And it's kind of like mm -hmm. yin yang, like, right? Like it gets to a, a place of, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't take it. And then whoom, the, the wheel yeah. spins all the way to the bottom or all the way to the top. Luckily, we don't have garbage and, and rats running around the streets. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the black plague. Well, I live in New York City, yeah. so I'm like, maybe you don't. <laughs> yeah, I guess you guys do have that uh, lovely garbage day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, listen, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk to Matt about let's start in the middle, Matt. Let's start with your experience April 18th of 2019 and move in both directions from there. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and 
and Georgia Warner. You're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB-FM, Long Island's only local NPR station. You can also stream us online at 883WPPB.org. It's always a good time to make a donation to the listener-supported public radio. And we are sponsored by the Bridgehampton Inn and Restaurant. You can find them online at BridgehamptonInn.com. We're going to be right back after this. If the sun don't make things right, then it's gonna take a year. Gonna take a year. Flower moon, sacred sign, Coca-Cola and red wine. Now's the time to disappear. Gonna take a Tonight 
it's gonna take a year gonna take a year we're back sundays on the east end with bridget Leroy and georgia and warner and georgia warner in place of alex Sokolo. and we're going to be speaking with matt rayner matt welcome hello hello, hello. So a little background, Matt is one of my very, very good friends, and we met because I wrote a piece about him for The Independent shortly after he had this tragic, or maybe not, accident. Can you tell us a little bit about that day, Matt, April 18th last year? Yeah, well, April 18th, I was a commercial fisherman. What does that mean exactly? I've been hearing that about you for a long time, and I've never actually asked. What does that mean, commercial fisherman? Commercial fishermen is we catch massive amount of fish for restaurants, for people. It's not just your hook and line type of fishing. It's with nets, uh, bigger boats. Yeah, like what, what was your biggest boat and your biggest catch? Before I got hurt, I, I really had gotten a place that um, I was happy. I was working on the perception, and it was the biggest boat and the best How boat. How big was it? Oh, my God. Uh, 80, 86 in the water, 90 out of the water. And, so uh, what were you what were you catching and how much did you catch a day? Because these are you're talking to two city chicks here. Well, it depends. It. I mean, with fishing, everything is pretty dynamic and it all depends on the season. But mainly you target squid because every restaurant has calamari. So generally the price is is pretty good for it. And there's always a demand. While other fish, like, say, porgies, you know, you never really know what you're going to get paid for. If you're a fisherman who exclusively uh, catches squid, does that make you a squisherman? Um, I guess you could say that. Is that the technical term? I think that's the technical term. And, and, and if you catch fluke, is that just like a fluke? <laughs> nice try. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. I suck. Matt's going to be, Matt's going to keep it honest with me because he's my friend. Like, no, Bridget, that was mm -hmm. not good. Like, how many pounds of squid? was like your best day? The best trip we had was, it was 62,000 pounds of squid. The entire fish hold, which is, you know, on a 90-foot boat, is, is pretty massive. And we had it all the way stacked, you know, all the way to the top. And we had fish baskets filled with squid on top of, um, you know, those regular fish baskets, which is, you know, the cardboard and, and the, uh, the wax. And, uh, you know, that was one hell of a trip. It was, we caught him in five days, and one day was just one really nasty day where we had to, um, you know, when it blows 30 or 40, you can't fish. It's just uh, the net doesn't stay on the bottom, and the boat's rocking around. It's really quite dangerous. So one day, we had to lay up. You know, I think it was three or four days before that, but we had been working around the clock. I think every day was almost like a 18 to 20-hour day of fishing. I think we had one 16-hour day in there, and then we had one day where we we just kind of uh, steamed into it. What you do is, like, when it's really nasty, you just take the boat, you head one way, and then turn around, head the other way, and you do that until the weather dies down. How did you get into the field of being a commercial fisherman? Because I'll be honest, that sounds like my personal nightmare, but I'm curious. It sounds like you were into it. Oh, I loved How it. Did you? One of my close friends was a fisherman, and... Uh, you know, I, I had been doing you know, some trades work, which wasn't really what I wanted to do. You know, and I, I've always been in a, a natural adventurer. And so he brought me out fishing. And after that, I was like, this is it. This is the only thing I want to do. I get to be on the water, which I love. Matt, did uh, you say you were, you were hooked on fishing? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. uh, 
another mm. sucky one from Bridge. Sorry, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Continue. It's all right. Yeah. I love you, Bridge. You really, really sunk that one. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Shut. You call back. Uh, you. Anyway, so yeah. So you loved it. You are a natural adventurer. Now let's get to the day because I want to talk about the adventure later because we're going to talk about your art and your your photography. But tell me, like you had just come off one of these huge hauls, right? And you you, yeah, you had yeah. some days off. Yeah, I, I had a, you know, we, we do like three weeks on and then three weeks off. So you'd have a couple of trips strung together and then, you know, you get off and do like a crew rotation. Somebody else would take your place and you get off. And uh, when I was off, I used to work on the bay on my clam boat. But I was I was starting to get some pretty nasty tendonitis. I had been going for like what you'd call polar plunges, which is really helping with tendonitis. So every day I go down to the beach and jump in the water for like, I don't know, I try to stay in for a minute and, you know, it would help with the swelling and it helped with the pain. So I was doing that. And, you know, I had, I had gone down to uh, Towd Point in Southampton. There's a big channel there. All the North Sea Harbor runs out of it. And, uh, you know, I had been in and out of there because I lived down the road. So I used to take my shellfish boat in and out of the channel and I knew where it was deep and where it wasn't deep. Well, apparently I didn't really know where it wasn't deep, as you'll find out in a few moments. So, you know, I was diving in the water down there and it was beautiful. It was it, it, not in the classical sense of the sun was out and, you know, it, it was a nice day. It was actually stormy. It was a full moon tide. So the tide had been all the way up. The wind was blowing like 30 miles an hour and the sand was blowing. The leaves weren't quite out yet. And also, Peconic is really blue before it warms up. It's like this really awesome color. You can be far into the water and uh, a little bit of a magic to it when it's cold like that. So, But yeah, so I jumped in the water a few times and uh, I decided to go pick up my friend Jerome to share this experience with. Uh, you know, so I went and got him and then we went back down to Tower Point. I jumped in the water a few more times and then I was, you know, pretty cold and pretty tired. So I decided to go in one more time and... I was doing shallow dives, so just kind of like skimming on the surface. And this last dive, I, you know, I, I guess I wasn't thinking. And I just, uh, I dove in the water. And if you know anything about sand, it does shift. So if you think you know where places are deep and where they aren't, it's not always true. So I did more of a deep dive. And uh, I don't remember hitting my head. But I floated to the surface. And... Uh, I knew right away I was paralyzed. There was no question. Uh, the only thing I could move is my hand and my neck a little bit. I could move just a tiny bit. And the wind you're, was... You were face down, right? Yeah, I was face down in the water, face down. And the That's wind, terrifying. Yeah, the wind was with the tide, and it was a full moon tide, so the water was really rushing out of North Sea Harbor, and it was, it was pushing me out. And if anybody has a near-death experience... They know that time really starts to act funky. And for me, I thought either I'm going to get saved or I'm going to drown here. My whole life kind of flashed before my eyes. And I, uh, I remember having extreme amount of gratitude for having to do, you know, getting to travel, getting to spend so much time on the water, getting to adventure as much as I can, which is something that I love. Let's just also give your age, which is at the time you were 28, correct? Yeah, I was a year older than I, I figured I would get. So I was happy with that, too. 
Um, and I was like, man, I made it to 28. I thought 27 would be the end. Gratitude and near death. And then... Gratitude and near death. And, you know, so, so like I said, you know, I was really, I was happy with the life that I had lived, even all the stupid things. I, I thought it had been a very fulfilling and, um, I got to taste the flavors of life. I got to see the sights. And, um, if this was it, this is how I'd want to die. I want to die in the water and, you know, it's kind of weird and morbid, but, um, I had seen so many fish die. It was kind of like my experience with death. I wasn't going to say it. Yeah, so, it's like karma almost, yeah. Yeah, I was like, well, if I'm going to die like one of those fish that I killed, hey, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's funny to me. I don't know if that, it's funny to anybody else. Have you considered that perhaps the sand didn't naturally shift, but that it was a conspiracy of revenge from the fish? It's possible they may have actually gathered a little mound and... Mm-hmm. and just, I'm just saying it. Yeah, it's Consider possible. it. Along with the 5G power conspiracy, you know. So wait, but your your friend Jerome was there with you? Is that who who found... He he was That's lucky? Yeah, it was lucky. And yeah, you know, I just remember extreme peace and serenity. And uh, I remember thinking like I'm going back to wherever I came from. I don't understand this. My puny little mind can't comprehend this. But now I'm just going to be elemental like everything we see around us and the one thing i did regret out of all of the things was that i didn't get to have a child and and watch it grow mm-hmm. i felt like that would have made uh a complete a complete uh life and that was it you know and then and then i passed out you know i, I had made my peace with the world i was like this is it and i'm happy i'm happy with the life that i lived even though i've done so much stupid stuff I've done so much awesome stuff. That's fine. You know, and I passed out. And instead, and instead what happened, uh, this is a beautiful ending, but that was really only the end of the first or maybe even halfway through your first act. Because Jerome jumped in, right? And uh, brought you back to life. Yeah, I passed out. He pulled me to shore. Uh, He said my eyes were wide open and my lips were blue and my heart wasn't beating. uh, So he had to do CPR. That dirty Frenchman had to kiss me. Uh, <laughs> Ew! by Jerome. Ew! He got me back to life, and uh, you know, I waited there like get away for the paramedics for like a half hour, forty five minutes. The whole time, the wind is just gusting sand in my eyes and my face, and I'm completely paralyzed. And um, yeah, you know, they they uh, airlifted me to Stony Brook, where I had to wait. I had to wait a few days for uh, an operating room and also to come out of spinal shock, which is, uh, you know, you're not supposed to break your spine and live. You know, your body, like you break your spine, your body's like, okay, that's it. So, you know, when I broke my neck, I had like this extraordinarily, it was just extraordinary spiritual experience. And it lingered for, I'd say, close to six months where I was just like happy to be alive, you know, I was like, well, I guess all of this time is extra. Can we get a little technical, Matt, um, and explain what vertebrae you crushed and what you're able to do and not do on your own? Well, I broke C3 through 7. C3 is actually responsible for uh, operating your lungs. So when I was in the water, I didn't drown. 
my lungs shut down because I broke that vertebrae. If I didn't break C3, I would have drowned. And when you drown, you suck in the water. You know, right after you pass out, you breathe in water. And I don't know if I would have lived if I didn't break C3. So that's a little interesting fact that me and Jerome. I, I have to I have to bring this back to the conspiracy theory because you didn't just kill fish. You specifically hunted invertebrates. I'm telling you, the squids, they were like, one of us, <laughs> one of us. Right? They're, they're <laughs> one of squid, us. They're little squid pitchforks. They're yeah. like, let's get them, finally. Yeah, like, why, like, why does he get a spine? That's what was happening. Yeah, right? <laughs> Oh my God, Georgia. I know she's horrible. And I birthed her. So there you go. So up until we'll get to Shepherd Center, we're going to take a break in a minute. But when you got home after the two months in Stony Brook and then Mount Sinai, what were you capable of doing by yourself and and not being able to do? Just basic, not where you are today, but where you were saying. Oh, when I was first in the hospital, I, I couldn't, I could barely move anything. I pretty much just lay there. Eventually, I could move my arm a little bit, you know, so I could like doctor would come in. So I was like, hey, shake my hand, even though it doesn't work. I can still kind of get it to you. So shake it because I'm proud of this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, when it first happened, especially with spinal swelling, I really couldn't move much. And uh, with spinal shock, you're like in kind of this cloudy haze, you know, you're really not fully conscious. You don't lay down memories that well. So, you know, my time in the ICU in Stony Brook or just a little bit of the cloud, they were nice though. I remember they were, I was in the ICU and there was all these beautiful nurses taking care of me. And I was like, man, this is like kind of nice. But anyway, <laughs> you know, and also all my friends used to visit me and I had this wild thirst for uh, different types of juices for some reason. Mm-hmm. So they'd come and bring me a variety of, of juices. And I was always excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time for us to take a little break for public service announcements and perhaps a little musical interlude. When we come back, I want to talk about basically from the time you got home and how you got back into art. And I want to talk about your photography and where that originated. So we're going to take a little break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. Oh, and, 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 and Georgia Warner. Wow, you are just not picking up what I'm laying down. Uh, you're listening to us here on WPPB <laughs> FM, Long Island's only local NPR station. We're speaking with artist and and squisherman. That's squisherman. Artist and, and squish and past squisherman Matthew Rayner. And we're going to be yeah. right back after this. <laughs>
We're back. Sunday's on the East End with Bridget Leroy and, and Georgia, Georgia Warner standing in for Alex Socolow. And we're speaking with our guest, Matt Rayner, who some people know you out here really as a commercial fisherman. Some people know you as an artist because you've had several shows. You are doing actually an online sale right now of your yeah, amazing yeah. prints from all over the world. Yeah. We're going to get back to talking more about what it's like life for a quadriplegic. But I also want to know, like, going back to your fisherman days, when did the art come in? When did you pick up a camera? I always liked photography, and I, and I always had an eye for me. And, uh, you know, it was something that just came naturally. So, I don't know, it started when I was, like, like 15 or 16. I had a photography class. And, you know, when I was out fishing, I, I would take pictures of some of the beautiful things that I'd seen. But I never really took it seriously just because... You know, I, I didn't have the time to pursue it, and it's difficult to get a following. So I mainly just fished because I love fishing. So, you know, after I broke my neck, I needed some direction and some purpose. Because when you break your neck and you can only move some of your arms, everything else is useless. You really got to create purpose for yourself to give yourself direction. So I decided, well, listen, I used to do photography. Why not pick that up as a full-time thing now? Who are you saying, well, listen to? Me, myself. <laughs> oh, okay. And the squid. I'm not schizophrenic. I'm not schizophrenic, I swear. Right before the break, we were talking about how you um, immediately post-accident to now, you've sort of expanded your repertoire of like everyday doing thingsness. And I know, from what I know of you and your experience and what I know from like the little I've watched of Friday Night Lights and stuff, your hands can be a hurdle. So what was that like for you as far as were you able immediately to operate a camera the way that you could before? No, I, was that sort of a... You know, my hands don't work. I have this thing called a tenodesis grip, which is basically you move your wrist and your hand closes. So, you know, you open your oh. wrist, kind of stick something in it, and then close close your wrist or open your wrist and then you can grab it. But mainly with the drone... I have a little joystick, you know, I have joysticks that I can use and I can use my phone. Yeah, so. you have a little, yeah, you got a little joystick. Oh my hey. God, you're fired. Hey, you. Um, so wait, what about this drone? First of all, what's its name? It has no name. Oh God. Okay. Well, I'm going to, oh, come on, what kind, of, what kind of a father are you? you I know, right? So how does that work? So you, and did you, did someone suggest that to you? Like, you know, you can no, still take photography no. with a drone or like what? No, no, nobody suggested to me. I just thought it would be a good idea and it would give me something to do. So, you know, cause I always like driving. We mm -hmm. live on the East End here in the winter. There's nothing to do. You just end up driving around in freaking circles. So sure. I'll go drive around with my drone and uh, see if I can get some cool shots. So did you have a drone before the accident? No, no, no. The, the drone was just something completely new to me. And, um... Actually, the photography thing to me now is it's much more than just taking pictures because if I can get a picture I like and I enjoy it, it's kind of like a testament to continuing to, continuing to live, you know, mm -hmm. because I can't do any of the things that I used to. I'm completely yeah. paralyzed from the collarbone down. It's not the nipple down, it's the collarbone down. People who are paraplegic to me, I think are lucky because they can grab things. They can do this. They can do that. I, on the other hand, I can't grab anything. So I can't open doors. I can't, you know, everything's a struggle. I'm pretty much just, I can stare at things. I'm great at staring at things. But I certainly <laughs> cannot make them move with my mind. 
Work on it, damn it. Yeah. You're not trying. Watch Matilda now. a few more times. I just want to ask you, like, you know, now your photos are from a different perspective because they're drone photography. And, you know, I really, your website, which is Matthew Rayner, R-A-Y-N-O-R, MatthewRayner.com, people can see the before shots of when you, you know, went to these Greek islands or when you were, you know, at Bryce Canyon or, or just those amazing shots of being on the water with it when you were hauling and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. now the shots are, are really from above, which is interesting because you had an out-of-body experience and now you're able to take photographs like that. It's very spiritual, Matt. There's a lot of strange connections, but yeah, I kind of had to think about things differently. Like, how is this going to look from above? That newest photo that I got, I just absolutely love. Uh, I, I think I called it Beautiful Birch. Uh, I got some really nice colors in there, and and, and it kind of matches with modern decor. I, you know, I don't know anything about decorating, but I'm learning here. You know, if you're going to be a photographer, you better know how things match. So it goes really well with white. Oh, wow. Sorry, I just pulled up Beautiful Birch on your website. Holy mackerel. That is some beautiful birch. Not holy I know, mackerel. right? Holy yeah, and holy I Holy squid. Holy ship. I, I specifically went out that day because I wanted to find something that would match with, you know, popular styles. And it, it does, you know. It looks like a, like a Pollock, almost. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I try to make him look out of this world because that's just, that's just my style. I like that. But many of your other pictures are sort of enhanced slice of life, a beautiful like image that looks right. This, I wouldn't have known it was Birch if you hadn't called it Birch. It just looks yeah. like some kind of insane natural, I don't know, paint spatter. It's cool. And that's kind of like the cool thing about the drone is if you go high enough, everything kind of looks like a, what is it called? A Rorschach plot? Rorschach test? Like micro and macro are like the same exact thing. So it's so bizarre to see when you go all the way up how things look. And then if you look at a microscope, they look the same. You know, you're like, wow, these patterns are just naturally occurring. It's like reverse pointillism. I think you're getting a little obtuse, Georgia, because what I see it more as is like you're really able to capture nature, like you're saying, as a microcosm. So you're looking at a really big picture, like with your birch or even when you're doing dredging and stuff like that. Yeah. You're able to see it almost like being part of a body. I mean, to me, it looks like it really looks like lungs and trees are the yeah. lungs of the earth. And we're all, you know, we're all interconnected. And the weird thing is, like, you know, when I had my near death experience, I didn't know what was going to happen to me, but I know I was returning to like the most elemental, fundamental part of life. And, you know, I would just be part of those weird pictures that I take of trees that you can't tell are trees. Or I remember what I was, what I was going to ask earlier, which is just, you said that you think paraplegic people are lucky because they can use their hands. Before you said that, I thought you were a paraplegic person. So what is the distinction between oh. one? Is there a word specifically for that? A paraplegic means two of your limbs are without function or partially without function. A quadriplegic means three or more of your limbs are uh, not working correctly. So I'm a quadriplegic. You know, I broke... Quadriplegic? Yeah, technically. Uh, I broke C5 and C6. Those are the ones that really did me in. C3 and C4 yeah. were not too badly damaged. Otherwise, you know, I'd be on a ventilator. I want to move now to kind of like talking a little bit about your recovery, even though you are not, of course, recovered, you're going to always be a quad, I assume. But I want to talk about being at the Shepherd Center and what are you able to do now that you weren't able to do, say, like last July? The Shepherd Center was wonderful. I mean, I absolutely loved it. It gave me structure, it gave me something to do every day. 
the Shepherd Center is like one of the best spinal cord injury rehabs in the country. And people come from all over the world to go there. Uh, and that's in Atlanta, right? That is in Atlanta. You know, I, I'd have physical therapy and occupational therapy every day. And they had like cool things like recreational therapy, like, oh, you want to go shoot a pellet gun? Okay, well, we have something for that, you know. They'll bring you like jet skiing and all this. <laughs> they do so much cool recreational stuff there. And, and it was, it was awesome. Nice. They gave me like an apartment to live in, which was connected to the hospital. They also they also give you like classes on, okay, if you want to travel, this is how you have to do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's complicated. Everything's complicated. Initially, you went down there, I think, for just two weeks, but you ended up staying like eight weeks. Why was that? I think it has to do with your attitude more than yeah, your well, abilities. Yeah, they said two weeks at first. And then, you know, I saw the occupational therapist and the team got together and they said, in their words, I was a well of potential. So I ended up wow. the, the eight weeks and I get to go back in six months, provided that I can get a caretaker to, to stay with me. That's the one thing that you need. You know, you need like a caretaker and you have to mm-hmm. provide your own meals. And I'm not in the hospital itself. It's it's a whole separate building, which is apartments in it. What is the goal? I mean, obviously, actually, I shouldn't say obviously. I don't know anything about this stuff. But well, what is possible as far as recovery goes? You're trying to get from here to where what's the end game the end game is to be able to transfer from my bed into my wheelchair to get dressed on my own you know to be able to drive on my own they're small goals because sure i'm really disabled and if i could get myself at night from my chair into my bed then that would make a huge difference because you know how hard it is to try to get somebody to come put you in bed at like nine o'clock but does that mean in order to make that possible does that mean like I guess it's not like strengthening muscles. It's not about that. And well, no, what it is. is the... They like neuro re-engineer your muscles to work in ways that they're not really intentionally made to work. Okay. You know, I, I, I'm supposed to use my shoulders to lock out my elbows so I can like pivot and do this and that so I can get in the bed. My plan was... They, Are you they able me to a... do it? No, it, it's something that takes years of practice. It's not something that you can just wow. do, you know, two months. And uh, the Shepherd Center, they put you on a trajectory. You go home and you're supposed to keep practicing, but the coronavirus kind of uh, God, you know, yeah. been totally derailed. I wanted to get vehicle control so I could drive all the way up island. It's like I got to drive to uh, East Meadow to go to like the best spinal cord injury rehab. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm still working on that. I got to get a grant and they postponed my appointment time. So uh, I got to wait till all this blows over to really get going with my recovery. This goes for everyone, but you don't want to expose yourself to a, a medical center. I mean, I feel like if you got this bug, it would suck a lot. Well, yeah, I can't cough. <laughs> yeah. So like, d- um, that's good that you're not going now. <laughs> Matt, I was really going to bring it back to the photography because something that you once saw as a hobby is now a source of income for you. So when you were taking those photos, you never really intended for that to be something that you, I mean, Matt Rayner, photographer, that's probably not a a label that you saw yourself as. And now you have actually art shows. You've had art, you've had actual art openings. Yeah, they were uh, really successful. I mean, right after I got at Mount Sinai, you know, I got that in June, June 26th. And then in July, I had a, uh, a show at the Southampton Cultural Center. And it was just you know, a huge success, which was lovely, you know, 
And I was supposed to have another one, but coronavirus. But you do have a show, we hope, that's going to be at some point when everything opens again. Yeah, hopefully in June or July when, you know, we're out of quarantine, hopefully. Uh, cross your fingers. I should have a show, another show at, at uh, the Cultural Center. And, you know, I have enough work for it. I really want to get into different types of work, you know, with mixed media because photography is great, but I can't really express a lot of the feelings that I've gone through, especially, say, my near-death experience with a photo. It's just not going to do it. I need to get into uh, certain different different types of, of art, which I'm working on. I have recruited somebody to help me to work into my hands. And uh, I think that would be really meaningful for me to have to look at something and be like, this is how I feel about mm -hmm. almost dying. Or this is how I feel about having to relearn how to do everything. Or You're talking still about photography, yeah? It's photography. It's going to be partially photography, but it's going to be, you know, like mixed media. You know, I'm going to. Right. Because that's what I was going to ask. I feel like there's so many, you know, exhibitions where you see like, this is the exhibition about fill in the blank versus, you know what I mean? Where everything kind of hints at something or, you know, like something about the water, which I know you obviously already do a lot of, but versus something about like, I don't know, growth. You're exploring like thematic photography for your shows or just kind of anything beautiful. Well, photography right now is just anything beautiful, but what, you know, when I, mm -hmm. when I get my new art projects started, they're all going to be thematic. I've been planning this for months, but it's just right. be popping up, you know, so I, I well, haven't been able to do it. But Matt, you do have, you know, a surprisingly large number of people out here who have been introduced to you, whether it was through your, your GoFundMe campaigns that were set up by other people. You had many, many people who really want to see you succeed. The people who are listening who are familiar with your situation or who are now might feel like they really want to uh, help out in some way, uh, whether it's financial or whether it's helping you, you know, with your art or maybe caretaking or whatever. How can they reach out to you? My website, if you enjoy my art, you can buy a piece, which directly helps me. And I, I have a GoFundMe. You could just Google Matthew Rayner GoFundMe or, you know, it should pop right up. And then my website, MatthewRayner.com. And um, caretaking, you know, right now, it's kind of tough with the coronavirus. I'm trying not to get too many people involved, but uh, just one caretaker can't do it. So I have to, you know, I got to get somebody else in the mix. Sure. Which is too difficult, you know, because my mom is unable to, uh, she's older. She can't do uh, anything labor intensive. So really, I need security. And I also, to be honest with you, I need, I need my own place to live. Yeah, I can feel it. Well, you, you were talking about, I mean, I'm just curious, we, we talked a little individually about what it was like being in Atlanta. And you said it was such a, I'm not saying like, get out of here, go to Atlanta. But you were impressed by how it was such a, an accessible city. Yeah. Are you considering, are, are you definitely staying in the area or are you looking oh, at oh, no. kind of well, I mean, options? I'm weighing my options. Some of the ideas I had were, were to uh, put like a modular home in the back of my parents' house and have it totally accessible. It would make my life so much better because I'm limited to just a few things that I can do. And and when things are accessible, you're able to do them on your own. Some of the people who had my same level of injury, you know, they cook, they, they do life again, you know, but yeah. everything has to be set up specifically for it. So I really wanted to uh, start trying to look into ways to be able to have my own space 
So I can feel like, you know, almost 30 year old again, instead of like a kid living at his parents' house. And, you know, I'm still working on it. So that's something I, I really need to do. And I also need to get, I need to get my van equipped so I can drive it. That would be so it's cool. Like, Maddie on the road. Huge life improvement. Because, you well, know, listen, I, do, I, mean, I do crazy here sometimes. I'm just sitting in my room watching TV or, you know, editing photos, which I do. For, I don't know if it's any consolation, but right now that's what most of us are doing. Yeah, I know, but I've been doing it for a year, so. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, <laughs> just, but I'm just saying now I have a little bit of company as far as, you know. For anybody, anybody else who has become maybe recently disabled or who, you know, you have the experience of being disabled for a whole year now. What kind of message of hope can you give to people who feel right now like, you know, trapped or maybe are actually physically disabled? I know that you have such a strong message of hope as well. A lot of it just comes down to research. You have to research. Nobody's going to come and just help you and do all the things for you. Unfortunately, it's something you have to do on your own, you know, whether it's looking for grants or trying to get your health insurance uh, authorized you know, uh, medical equipment, you have to do it. And then you have to do it a lot. I think that alert you just got was me. I just bought two of your photos. They're so beautiful. Ah. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. And I also have a Matt Rayner original, which is a beautiful photo you took when you were in the Greek islands, I think. It's just amazing. And it yeah. speaks to me because my, my shaman master, Ray Christ, who we interviewed a few weeks ago, is from Greece. So the fact that it's of the Greek islands and you, my friend, took that picture of who knows how long ago. You probably do. But, you know, I mean, yeah. that's the thing is you're still managing to find the beauty. I mean, is that the secret of life, Matt, finding the beauty? It certainly is. I mean, you know, you could focus on negativity and the only thing you're going to get out of that is just more negativity. And uh, I've been there, too. You know, uh, I struggle with that. But really, you have to get your mind right. I and mean, you have to focus on all the things you can do instead of the things you can't do. Unfortunately, your subconscious always comes and gives you a little kick in the butt and says, Oh, too bad. You can't cook that thing that you still love to cook. Oh, you know what? You know what? My you is, but Matt, that's not your subconscious. That's your ego. Yes. But yep. It, 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 you know, you're totally right about that. It's, um, and a lot of it is just letting go. And it's like that for everyone, you know? It's letting go of attachment for me to things that I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore. Like, let it go. Let's focus on something positive. If if I may, that's kind of the message I was getting from one of your uh, pictures that I just bought, Sedona. It's like this broken tree in the forefront, but it's a beautiful broken tree. But right beyond it, where the tree probably can't see, is this like expansive plains in sunlight and... It feels a little metaphorical. Yeah. That, Isn't that the one that I pointed out? Isn't that the one that I asked you about and I circled something on it? I was don't it? remember. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it was. I think I was attracted to the same one. That doesn't surprise me, Mom, because you're always like fairies and magic. And they're, this looks like it, like a magical forest somehow like combined with the real world. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the gnarled little things yeah. of Sedona, Arizona. There's like quite, quite a bit of magic in them, you know, they're surviving, but they're like half dead at the same time. When this is over and you are able to actually travel, Matt, what's the first place you want to go? There's a um, spinal cord injury facility in uh, South Africa, which is modeled after the Shepherd Center. The guy had gone there and, you know, he did a little stay there and he went back to South Africa and started his own. Wait, 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 wait. He went there he, as a patient? 
Yeah, he went there as a patient. He flew from South Africa to go to the Shepherd Center and came back and was like, there's a need to help these people because it's kind of like uh, an obscure thing. People don't understand paralysis. So he started his own facility called Walking with Brandon. And, uh, you know, I wanted to visit that. So I was going to fly into Amsterdam, which I can't get a direct flight to Cape Town. And I want to avoid mm-hmm. Johannesburg because apparently they steal your luggage. Um, <laughs> so, I feel like that's a story we don't have time for, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need people stealing my important medical equipment that will sure. So I was going to go to Amsterdam for a week, check that place out, and then fly to Cape Town and stay there for a few weeks while getting some awesome photography and getting some physical therapy and then uh, fly back to maybe Paris or another city, which I can have a layover in and stay there for a week and then fly back to the JFK. That's amazing. Well, you know, we're coming to the end of the show and you know a lot of people right now are feeling paralyzed and a lot of people are using the word paralyzed. And how does that make you feel? I mean, does it, does that upset you or do you, do you, do you understand it? No, I mean, I, I I understand it. If anything, it, it helps people relate to me. I just got a message the other day who and it was just kind of somebody who was like, oh, well, you know, I guess this is how you, you felt for the past year. I was like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I feel like it's like when people are like, oh, my God, I'm starving. And you're like, no, you're not starving. Yeah. People are starving. But yeah. like, you know what they mean, kind of. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. you know, people always say, oh, well, you know, I can't really relate because I'm not in your shoes. But, you know, going back to the micro and the macro, it's all just different levels of things. My pain mm-hmm. might be bigger in, in certain aspects, and your pain is the same, but just a little bit smaller. Well, you know, my favorite life advice from Jack Handy is, before you criticize a man, you should first walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you criticize him, you're a mile away from him, and you have his shoes. There you go. <laughs> and you're a thief. Well- yeah. Well, Matt, it's been wonderful. You are uh, an East End legend now, whether you know it or not. And it's been an mm-hmm. honor to have you on the show. That's Matt Rayner. You can check out his artwork and the rest of his incredible story on Matt. The artist formerly known as Squisherman. <laughs> Artily, artist formerly known as Squisherman. Matt Rayner. That's uh, R-A-Y-N-O-R dot com. And Georgia, thank you so much for coming on and being my co-host. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Your website is Matthew Rayner, R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. People can see your wonderful artwork and read about your story and buy your artwork and find out about any shows you have coming up. Georgia, you are an acting coach and people, you have your own website too, don't you? Oh, sure. Yeah. If you want to learn more about my clever quips. No, um, I, I'm an actor and a writer and an acting coach. And my website is georgiawarner.com and all of that stuff. And I'm still coaching over Zoom. Yay. And Yay. Uh, I am Bridget Leroy from The Independent and from WPPB. And you can listen to us on 88.3 WPPB FM, Long Island's only NPR station. There are so many programs that are about local people focusing on this area and this is just one of them so keep tuning in thank you both so much for being on the show thank you to the bridgehampton inn and restaurant for sponsoring us and everybody be well and stay well